Hello, welcome to my Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins. It's great to have your company. I want to start again this week with thanking my new Patreon sponsors. Thank you so much to Steve for signing up and to Jane and also to Eric and Sue. So thank you so much for joining me on this journey. And if you are interested in sponsoring me, there's a link in the show notes. You can just click on patreon.com forward slash Dan Mullins and find out how to sponsor me. That'd be great. I wanted to start also this week with a story. I was watching a concert to mark the 90th birthday of the American folk singer Pete Seeger at Madison Square Garden. It's on YouTube. And Bruce Springsteen stepped up to the microphone and he tells the story of singing with Pete at Barack Obama's inauguration, the first one. And Pete and Bruce are going to be singing, This Land is Your Land. And Bruce says, how are we going to approach it? And Pete Seeger says, well, I know one thing's for sure. We are going to sing all the verses, the two at the end that everyone cuts out, the two that Woody Guthrie put in about private property and the relief office. See, Pete Seeger wanted to tell the whole story. He didn't want to tell only part of the story. He said too often we skip over things to make life easier and important parts of the story of history are forgotten. He's saying, as I went walking, I saw a sign there. And on the sign it said, no trespassing. But on the other side, it didn't say nothing. That side was made for you and me. In the shadows of the steeple, I saw my people. By the relief office, I seen my people. As they stood there hungry, I stood there asking, is this land made for you and me? Nobody living can ever stop me as I go walking that freedom highway. Nobody living can ever make me turn back. This land was made for you and me. How could you leave out that part of the story? It reminded me of my interview last week when I talked about reflecting on our memories of those who have been kind and generous to us, how it lights a candle in us that burns brightly all these years later. I haven't stepped foot on the Camino in more than four years, but the candle of pilgrimage still burns strongly within me. And I wonder from time to time why that is. And I'm then taken back to the way of St. James via the social media posts of someone I know or I follow, or perhaps one of my listeners drops me a note. And so it was that I came across the travels of Annie and Andrew Thomas, Australian pilgrims. I saw a picture of them standing proudly in front of the cathedral in Santiago de Compostela that was smiling from ear to ear, so pleased at their accomplishment. And I reached out to ask them to appear on the podcast. And as it turns out, Annie and Andrew only just finished the Camino, and they're still in Spain. Welcome, pilgrims. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Dan. Annie, am I right in saying you've just finished the Camino Anglaise? Yes, that's right. Um, We started in Ferrol and finished in Santiago, had a rest day, and then we walked out to Finisterre. Oh, so you kind of went in and then straight back out the kind kind of the same way, Andrew? Yes, that's correct, yeah. Was it busy, Andrew? Um, it was reasonably busy. Uh, there was two albergues in one particular spot and both were pretty full. So that was probably around 40-odd people at that one stop that one night on, on the Inglace and um, seemed to be pretty busy on the uh, out to Finisterre as well. Right. And, Annie, did it get busier, did you think, the closer you got to Santiago? Uh, yes, I, I I think so. And once we were in Santiago, of course, where all Caminos converge, it was it was crazy busy. 
Really? It was really busy in Santiago and, you know, people were coming in from all areas. So, um, yeah, I, I, Santiago was just insane. Yeah, I'll just say, Dan, on the day we arrived, uh, there was 1,503 or four that had actually arrived in Santiago that day. So when you say you started in Ferrol, I thought that the the traditional beginning point for the Inglese was A Coruña. Am I wrong? Uh, um, well, no, you're not wrong. There, there's there's two ways you can do the Inglese. You can start in A Coruña. Um, it's a little bit shorter, uh, less than a hundred kilometres. So um, if you do start in A Coruña, you don't receive a Compostela if that's what you're aiming for. Right. So uh, we, we actually flew into La Coruña and then we caught a bus to Ferrol. And that distance, I think, is about 114 kilometres. Okay. Uh, so we were able to get our Compostela once we reached Santiago. But there's a spot um, on the Inglés where the two converge. I'm not exactly sure where that is. It might be, um, mm, goodness me. It evades mm-hmm. me. I'm sorry, That's but right. um, uh, yeah, we 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 caught a bus from Acarunya and then started in Ferrol. Right, Andrew. Why did you choose the Anglaise? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. I guess we had a limited amount of time, uh, and we also took another friend with us. And I'm not sure whether Annie's mentioned that. Uh, a friend of ours uh, whose wife passed away a couple of years ago, so we wanted to introduce him and get him out of Australia and, and give him something else that he could focus on. And um, we thought the English would be a good introduction for him, only being a short one, and um, and then out to Finisterre, of course. So, wow, uh, that's that's pretty much why we chose the English. Yeah. And I might stay with you, Andrew. Tell us about that journey or his journey. How did he feel? Uh, of, uh, did it did it resonate with him as you had hoped it would? Well, it, it was it was amazing for him on, on so many levels, and as a result, it was amazing for us too to see him. Um, you know, to to grow in in on the Camino, and um, he, uh, yeah, he was just had never been out of Australia before except on a Navy ship. I'm ex-Navy and we served together for a long time. Um, so he had just got a passport for the first time. He's 63. And um, <laughs> so this was really stepping outside his comfort zone, he said. And um, so uh, we, yeah, we, we dragged him along with us and he just never looked back. He, he just was jumping out of his skin. He was talking to everyone. He was just so excited and uh, it was just fabulous to see. But, you know, he had his moments by himself. He would quite often walk ahead and uh, have a bit of time to reflect, as you do. And, um, you know, there's a couple of times where he, he'd talk to me afterwards and describe, you know, that he was quite emotional on the parts of the walk by himself. And and then right at the end at Finisterre, he... He had some moments with his his wife and uh, spread some ashes. So, yeah, he, he had, a, had a, a most amazing transformative time for him. And now he's already planning uh, the Camino Portuguese and he mm. wants to do the Frances and mm. Primitivo. And, oh, yeah. So there's no stopping him now. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's great. So, 
Annie, uh, you might tell us how the Camino came into your lives. Yeah, sure. Well, um, we've actually done the Francaise before, back in 2014. Um, but prior to that, I think it was probably a couple of years before that, that I read about the Camino in the Sunday travel pages in the Melbourne newspapers. And um, oh. I said to Andrew, I said, this looks amazing. We would ha- we'll have to do this. And um, I just sort of started to quietly research a little bit. And uh, then, of course, we found out about the movie, The Way, yeah. <laughs> as everybody does on Camino, and um, we watched it and that was it. I was in full planning mode. So, um, yeah, back in September 2014, we we were both still working pretty much full time and we knew that we wouldn't be able to take a huge amount of time off and it would have been our first European trip ever. So we managed to get five weeks and I wanted to see a little bit of France afterwards. So... I thought, how can we do the Camino and do a little bit of travel as well? So we actually walked um, the first 165-odd kilometres to Lagronio and then we picked up bicycles and we cycled to Saria for about 510 k's and then we walked the rest from Saria to Santiago and that got it done in about three and a half weeks which gave us a bit of extra time in Europe and it was amazing. It was just amazing. But um, that's, you know, eight years ago it was never going to be enough and um, I've always dreamed of going back and, of course, we did uh, a big plan for 2020 which, you know, went down the gurgler along with everybody else's plans and um, it was taken two years to get it back on the road and... uh, we just thought the Inglace would be something I'd heard so many people on your podcast had done it and it was a nice walk. We were a bit concerned about the weather because being in Galicia, it was going to be, you know, anyone's guess as to what kind of weather we would get. But, boy, we were so lucky. Oh. We had fantastic weather. Wow. Oh, that's so great. Yeah. And and so when you're on the Inglaze, Andrew, you might answer this song. Is it easy to find your way? Is it well signposted? Is it a, a well-trodden path? Uh, yes, very, very well signposted. Yeah. Um, they've got the standard markers everywhere. There's right. the yellow arrows. Um, you can't really get lost there. So, um, no, it's, it's really well done. And right. uh, plenty of albergues and... Yeah. Plenty of uh, pensions and so forth. Yeah, and I want to get to that in a moment because, um, as I understand it, the Francis is so busy right now and, and expected to be considerably busy, busier in, in, in summer. So a lot of people are sort of using and choosing different types of accommodation. But did you have to do a lot of research before you went? Annie, did you pre-book accommodation or just wing it? Well... <laughs> I'm 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 afraid to say that I did pre-book only because we were concerned that it might be busy. Oh yeah, I don't blame you. Yeah. Leading up to it, you know, you're reading every everything you can on, on all the forums on Facebook, and everyone was saying, "Oh, the English is busy. You better book." And I thought, "Oh gosh." Anyway, so we did. We did pre-book, um, and I'm glad we did. Uh, then we were walking with people that hadn't pre-booked though, and they never seemed to have any real dramas. Um, so, 
yeah, but we did pre-book because, you know, it's such a long way to go from Australia to have the stress of not knowing yeah. if you're going to be able to get a place to uh, sleep and and I, you know, I'm always a bit nervous about the language issues as well and I just thought, oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm just going to rest assured that I have somewhere to stay. So we did pre-book. Some albergies and some little pensions. Right. And so, Annie, staying with you then, you then knew how far you would walk each day. Yes, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm afraid I'm probably one of your spreadsheet pilgrims. <laughs> <laughs> so how far did you walk each day? Um, well, um, I, I didn't want to have to be walking more than about 20 kilometres a day. Okay. I, um, I had a couple of, the first couple of days were about 16 k's each and then we did a couple of 20s and there was a 25 and a 28 in there. That was the biggest day. Um, the day from Hospital de Bruma to Siguero, that was quite a big day. So, but then, you know, the last day, only 16 kilometres into Santiago. So I know a lot of people can do the Inglés in, you know, four days, but we sort of spread it out to six. Mm. I, I, I just don't like getting too, you know, too many blisters and, and, um, you know, too hot and bothered, and so I was trying to keep it going. Why not take your time if you can? Yeah, well, that's what I thought as well. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so there's people listening to us right now in all four corners of the world. I mean, um, this podcast resonates and and reaches people everywhere in the world. The, The stats, when I download them, sort of freak me out a little bit because I think, oh, my gosh, there's people listening in places that I haven't even heard of, really. So I, I, when I had a look on your, your Facebook profile, Annie, it said you're from Balnarring Beach. Is that right, Balnarring? Yes, a little gorgeous seaside mm-hmm. town on the Mornington Peninsula. Okay. So for those who are listening and not familiar with Australia, Balnarring is, as you say, on the Mornington Peninsula, south of Melbourne, right down in the bottom right-hand corner of Australia. So it can get pretty wild and woolly down there. So, Andrew, you might just tell us, what's the enterprise, what's the agriculture, what's the culture that keeps somewhere like that alive? Tell us about home. Well, Dan, um, it's, that's a really great question. I love answering this one because it's, it's so close to my heart. Um, it's a small coastal village. It has about uh, two to 3,000 normal uh, people living there permanently and there's a stack of holiday homes um but you, you think you when we moved when we first moved in there we thought oh we've got this beautiful place right down by the beach and everything we can walk the dogs there and the kids will grow up and in that space and but what we discovered the real jewel in the crown was community and it's the community that really makes Bowneri it's um, and and that's that's part of what makes the Camino really mm. is is it's is all about community as well, and I guess that's why they both resonate with us so much. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's it, it is really that community that's the jewel in the crown, as I keep saying. Wow, uh, Annie, the coast down there, um, Mornington Peninsula, it's rugged and it's beautiful. Uh, and I know you mentioned before that you walked to Finisterre. 
What did you make of the end of the world and that that coastline at 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 Finisterre? Mm. Uh, look, I was actually quite overwhelmed and um, emotional getting to Finisterre. I, I'm not sure what I was expecting because everybody had said, "Oh, you must go to Mushia," and we we tried to figure out a way that we could do it with the time frame that we had, but um, we all wanted to get to the you know, the end of the world and, and the zero marker and I thought, no, oh, you know, we're making a mistake going to Finisterre but, gee, it was so peaceful and beautiful out there when you finally walked out to the lighthouse. We walked into Finisterre and we walked straight through town and walked straight out to the lighthouse with our packs on. We didn't want to stop and offload or anything. We wanted to go straight out there and just finish it off and, um, gee, it was just gorgeous. Mm. Um even though there were a lot of people there, there was a bit of foot traffic on the way out and a fair bit of road traffic. And uh, But the coastline is just amazing. Yeah. And um, it's just got – there's a beautiful little um, um, monument out there with, a you know, a cross and people were putting their little um, stones and mementos and things on the on – the, on the concrete and writing little notes and it was just so tranquil and peaceful and, I mean, it helped that we had a beautiful day. Yeah. It wasn't too wild and windy and rugged. Uh, but I just had this amazing, overwhelming feeling of peace when we got there. It was nice. It was really, really lovely. Yeah. Because um, I've been to that neck of the woods to the Mornington Peninsula where you are from, um, those beaches Unlike a lot of beaches where I live, the beaches down there face south. Um, so I don't know about Bell Ranning necessarily, but you wouldn't necessarily see the sun come up or go down over the ocean. Am I right, Andrew? Um, oh, we do. We do see the sun sort of come up in the, the east there because our, our beach faces straight over to Phillip Island, which is about right. oh, seven, okay. seven kilometres away. So. It sort of comes up over, over on my left hand shoulder, right, and then sets back over my right hand shoulder, right. Okay. So and, and varies a bit as it mm. as the year of course, tr- of course. Dresses, but but did you watch the sun go down in Finisterre? Uh, <laughs> that's a bit of a contentious one, actually, because we were so we were so buggered, and uh, <laughs> our other friends that we we walked, our family Camino family that we walked into Santiago with. They did a quick trip on the bus out for one night and they sat there and said, you've got to go and see the sunset. And uh, But by the time we got back to our accommodation and everything, we were so buggered, we said, <laughs> oh, well, we've seen plenty of sunsets. We've been to the end of the world. That, that was it. It was a bit hard to get us back out there again. <laughs> well, I appreciate your honesty. Annie, I'm going to go with, to you. Why do you think the Camino uh, resonates with you two? Yeah, good question. I don't know. It's just I don't know. It's a. It seems to be. It it draws you in and it takes hold and you can't seem to off off offload it. I think you know. I I love hearing stories from other people about the, their Camino. I love listening to your podcast. Um, it's 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 a place where you can just. I don't know. Just walk and contemplate life and and deal with any issues that you have. Uh, we walk a lot where we are. We are on the beach, so we are regular walkers and it's 
it's it's almost like being on Camino when you're walking every day. You just go inward and the past couple of years, as you know and all your listeners know, has been so hard and um, it just made me want to go on Camino even more and yeah. and to finally be able to actually get there. Um, when, when I first mentioned to Andrew we should go, you know, we should go, uh, you know, it was almost still, you know, only when Australia was reopening their borders at the end of November and I said, right, let's do it and, and let's not be scared. I feel like we had been conditioned to be frightened of getting out into the world again, you know. we yeah. The government had sort of, I don't know, put the fear of, you know, got into you more or less. Yeah. And um, our son lives in Germany and he was telling us how people were getting out and about and travelling and, of course, all the Camino forums, there were people moving and starting again. And I said, let's go before we, you know, we were too afraid to do anything, you know. And um, I was just this, just this inner gnawing away to want to get out there again and do it. And yeah. um, it, was, it, was, it was quite an overwhelming feeling. And, um, you know, most of your listeners would agree that once a Camino gets into <laughs> your system, it's very hard to get it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How interesting. For me, it was the British Formula One Grand Prix. I, I turned it on and there's, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of people there. And in Australia... We were still locked up. You couldn't, you couldn't go out, you know, you couldn't do anything. And I'm looking at the right. British Grand Prix thinking, why are there 300,000 people there with no one wearing a mask? What's going on? Why, yeah. why are we, what, what's happening? And it was, I think, I that at that time that everyone said, wait a minute, you know, let's, let's, let's get things started. Um, yeah, that yes, was that was the real. Yeah, the realization for me was the British Grand Prix last year. Andrew, let's talk about the English. Um, uh, I guess you've walked the Frances, but what did you find most enjoyable about the Camino that you've just finished? Um, I think this time we uh, this time we got a sort of a bigger Camino family. I guess oh, that nice. was that was really a bit of a. Bit of a highlight for us. Mm. It was, we had a, um, a a German woman that we met walking out of Ponte Duomo up this massive hill, and so she joined in with us, us three, Ed, myself, and Anne. And there was also a Slovenian woman we'd met on the the first night, um, and she ended up back in our family. Uh, and then there was uh, two young uh, young German couple that uh, ended up in the family as well. Um, yeah, so that uh, that was one of the most enjoyable things. But also the, the I, I, a lot of people said that the Camino Inglés was, oh, it was mainly bitumen road and, uh, you know, that sort of thing. And I was sort of thinking, oh, that won't be very nice. But, in fact, even though there was a fair bit of bitumen, most of it was back roads. It was through... Big forests and and lots of greenery, and there was also it was it was uh, coupled with uh, lots of gravel pathway as well, and lots of different cafe stops that were designed for the pilgrims as well. So yeah, there was a whole host of different things, but it was again it was 
the community coming t- together, that Camino community and the different albergues and the mm. different stops and the, the, the banter that, you know, we had with the five Americans that seemed to be coming along with us as well. And, yeah, it was just the whole host of different things. Could you get a sense, and I'll stay with you, Andrew, that uh, there were a lot of businesses that would have once been opened that are now closed or did it look as if everything that had always been there was was open again? Look, I'd have to say that it, it, it appeared to me that um, everything had pretty much opened up again. Right. Um, yeah, the, the possible exception that we arrived in one place on the day of a fiesta and at the end of the fiesta all the restaurants shut, so we struggled to find somewhere to eat, but uh, right. we ended up getting kebabs at some spot. But, um, yeah, but, but uh, no, everything seemed to be open again now. It, it's yeah. all back to, to pretty much normal and, yeah, absolutely. Annie, to you, what did you find most challenging about this latest Camino, even though it was only really a week or more? Well... I struggle up on hills, to be honest, and um, but we um, we've managed okay. And I did I did come down with a bit of a bug, and um, so I I I was a bit crook for uh, the part of the the Finisterre walk, um, and uh, anything that was uh, challenging weather wise and elevation wise, I struggled a bit with. Mm. I did get a couple of blisters, but they were, you know, mainly hot spots that I took my trusty hiker's wool and um, addressed them yeah. that way, so that was good. Um, but, yeah, the the Inglace and part of the Finisterre uh, Camino are quite hilly and um, it was just a matter of taking my time and, you know, stopping for rest. There was some fantastic little... Um, Donativo rest spots, just that seem to pop up as they do when the Camino provides, Mm. just when you need them. (laughs) In the forest, you know, there'll be some, someone has laid out some deck chairs and tables and a couple of eskies with juice and beer and water and oranges and, you know, there's some shells that you can choose from and there's little nice sayings everywhere and it's just sitting in the shade and I thought, you know, it was one particular hill we struggled up and I was feeling, oh, gosh, you know, this is huge. You know, when's it going to end? Because you, you don't want to look up. <laughs> you just want to look at the ground because I think <laughs> if you look up, the hills is still there. Yeah. And when I finally looked up at this moment, we I thought, there is there is an oasis ahead. And it was amazing <laughs> because some beautiful Spaniard had you know, set up this great little shady rest spot and there were people there enjoying a bit of a break, you know, and it was, you know, it's just your typical Camino bloody angel, I think, what you could call it, you yeah. know, when you're um, struggling up a hill and um, and there it was, a little uh, little oasis to stop and have a rest. Wow. But, yeah, I think that was mainly my, my problems were, were hills, but... The boys, they were powering on like, you know, like nothing's, you know, like no tomorrow. <laughs> and they were always stopping at the top to wait for me. <laughs> oh, well, that's nice and that's courteous and chivalrous. But uh, you yes, just mentioned, right. Annie, that you didn't feel very well. I love the Australian vernacular. I was feeling a bit crook. 
yep. what what's the situation in terms of feeling a bit crook? Do you have to isolate? Do you have to go and do tests? Can you take a rat test or a PCR? What what's the protocol at this stage? Uh, well, mine was more a bit of a stomach bug, I think. Oh, and, I see. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, I it it just yeah I just felt lousy and um, but there were people who were just having rest days or um, I I didn't uh, there was one time when we were walking into uh, Olagoso and um, uh, on the Finisterre and we had. Uh, we'll walk 17 k's, and you know, I was, I was just, I was, I was feeling really bad. And I said to Andrew, we were booked into an albergue, and I said, I think I might catch a cab to the the, the following day's accommodation because it was a pension, and we had, I know we had a private room. So I left Andrew and Ed in the albergue, and I caught a cab ahead because I just thought I just need a full day of lying in bed, you know, and mm. and. And the the fact that the weather report was pretty terrible helped to make my mind up. <laughs> and that was great. I did. I just caught a cab to Corcubion and um, I just laid around and slept most of the day and got rid of my bug. And, um, and they turned up the following day in the pouring rain and it had been 30-knot winds and sideways rain. And I thought, oh, I picked a very good day to... To, to bypass that. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're sitting there with your feet up saying, how was your day, darling? Yeah, yeah it was a bit like that. <laughs> <laughs> Just on that, Andrew, what's it like to walk with your partner? Oh, it, it's, yeah, I love it. It's yeah. great. Um, but quite often we will walk apart. Um, we just have different paces and uh, so, and, and, Contrary to what Anne said, I don't always stop at the top of the hill. Sometimes I keep going, but uh, <laughs> but um, no, uh, no, I find it's good. It's it's an interesting thing because uh, if it, if it's just two people, you can tend to insulate between each other rather than expand too much in terms of a, maybe a Camino family. But um, I guess with Ed there, who was jumping out of his skin and he, we're all, you know, made friends very quickly with lots of other people. So, but uh, one, one oh, just a quick story is when we did the, 20, uh, the Camino Frances and we were coming back into Melbourne in 2014, um, I looked, at the, you know, the captain had announced they're about to land and the tray tables had to go up, seatbelts on, et cetera, et cetera. And I looked across at Anne lovingly and I said, you know, this has been a great trip. I love spending all this time with you. And she just looked at me and she goes, I can't wait to talk to somebody else. At <laughs> least <laughs> she's honest. Well, that's right. Oh, it's very funny. I just laughed. I laughed. <laughs> so, Annie, when you're walking side by side with Andrew... Um, Ed's walked a little bit further. Are you talking all the time or is there a... Or is there sometimes just a nice silence? Yeah, a lot of the time, a, a nice silence. Mm. Um, uh, you know, you can walk without saying anything, and each each is having their own little thoughts. Um, it's 
it's interesting. Um, one of the German ladies we were walking with, she uh, was on her own. She was married. She'd done a Camino Portuguese with her husband, and um, but she said this one he wasn't really keen on. So, And she was very happy to come on her own because she said the same. You know, if, if couples walk together, they sort of stay together. And um, she said, I really wanted to do a... a um, a solo Camino so that I could um, meet new people and gather a family. And if you are walking as a couple, sometimes you tend to perhaps not put yourself out there as much, I guess, if you're on your own. Mm, mm. I mean, you know, when you are on your own, you need to make friends and you need to uh, perhaps step out of your comfort zone if you're a shy person. Yeah. I think I'm a bit of a shy person, so... Um, it was great having Andrew and Ed there because um, that helped me a lot in opening up to, mm. you know, talk to people and find out where they're from and what 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 their story is and um, and I think from you know memory with the Camino Francais that was a very different experience because we were our first ever trip out of Australia on into Europe and we didn't know what to expect with the Camino and. Um, I think we we I felt this one was uh, much more community based uh, mm. for us anyway. Mm. Uh, I know um, that's different for a lot of people, but um, and I'm not sure if it was Ed because he was so bouncing out of his skin, full of life, and saying hello to everyone. He had terrible Spanish, and <laughs> and. Um, it was it was quite funny to watch him, but he was just um, you know in his element. He loved it. He was stepping out of his comfort zone in the biggest possible way, and um, and we were just loving watching him uh, bound along because he's this bushy bearded character from Red Hill on the peninsula. Or not if you don't know Red Hill, you know they're they're mountain men in Red Hill, and um, <laughs> it is a typical mountain man from Red Hill and uh, a very broad Australian accent. So everyone, uh, the girls that I walked with, the German girl and the gorgeous Tanya from Slovenia, they were loving having me to talk to, practice their English. Um, uh, but they said, oh, Ed's got a very, we can't understand Ed. We, we can't understand what he's saying. And I said, that's because he's, you know, he's the, as, as Australian as you can get. Um, but I think his reputation grew on the Camino and Andrew and he were walking out um, in the really wild weather day one day um, and while I was having a rest and they met a gorgeous German girl, uh, Issa, and um, she said, oh, you're the Australians I've been hearing about. <laughs> it was great. We had such a good time. And Annie, I'll stay with you, but... You and your sister are going to walk for two weeks on the Frances at the start of next month. What do you expect it will be like walking with your sister? And, and, and should I imagine that there won't be too much silence when, when you're walking alongside her on the, the Camino <laughs> Frances? It'll be a celebration, right? Yeah, yeah. It's going to be fun. It'll be a different uh, experience to what I've just had. My sister hasn't done a Camino, but... When we were first planning this trip, uh, I figured, you know, I need to try and pack it all in. And um, when 
when Andrew said, oh, well, I better go back to work after a month. And I said, well, I don't need to go back to work because I've recently retired. And I said, I wouldn't mind walking a bit further and I might do a bit of the, you know, Camino Frances. And my sister Helen said, oh, I'd really like to do that too. Can I come with you? And I said, sure, that'd be great. And um, so when Andrew flies out of Barcelona on the 1st of June, my sister Helen flies in. And then we're going to make our way back to St. Jean-Pierre-de-Port and start walking at a very slow pace. She's uh, she's a walker, but she's not a hiker. And um, she said, if I come, we'll have to only, you know, limit ourselves to um, 15 kilometres odd a day. And I said, I'll be happy with that. And I'm very happy to do a bit of a slow walk. And so... We're just going to see where we get to. I think we've booked as far as Lagrogno and, um, and you know, very slow, quite a few rest days, just cruising along, meeting people and staying in. Um, we have booked accommodation. Mm. Um, I've heard the Frances is really busy, so I'm glad we've done that. Um, it should be fun. I'm, I'm excited because I don't have to fast blokes to keep up with this time. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, tell us about arriving in Santiago de Compostela just a few days ago. Yeah, that that was amazing. Um, we had, as a family, the Camino family, we'd said, right, no one's allowed to get there first, although we did say the first person to see the spires will be the Camino king, uh-huh. which uh, turned out to be Ed, of course. But, um, no, we, we all, as we walked in, um, just huge emotion, just, I mean, we were only on the, it was a six-day Camino, I mean, it's not, it, but that emotion was still there and it just built up and everyone was in tears and everyone was hugging each other and, and laughing and and then our, you know, our German friend, she goes, Ela, she goes, Okay, now we make one million photos. <laughs> it was just, yeah, so there was lots of photos. Yeah, it's just very funny. But it was just a great feeling. And, and then the uh, five Americans that had been sort of walking with us as well, they all turned up in the square and, and we got on very well with them, lots of banter, and uh, we had a big, big meal that night at one of the restaurants with all of us round the table sharing one last communion wheel and uh, just just so good, so so lifting, so lifting. So, yeah. Yeah, wonderful. Oh, how lovely. That's fantastic. Well, I wonder if you've now done a longer Camino, you've done a shorter Camino, you have, you have Caminos in the future. Um, would there be something, Annie, I might ask you, would you do differently next time on your next Camino that you did this time around, the, this, this short Camino Inglés? I don't think we'd do anything differently than this time. Um, previous Camino Frances, we, we, we had time constraints, so we were on bikes, and I can mm. remember that, you know, um, I was thinking I can't wait to do this Camino in full on foot one day mm. because you know, on a bike you are travelling you know, different speed to walking. Yeah. And there were towns that we were riding through that I thought, gee, it would be lovely to, you know, have a look around here. But so I would like to do um, 
you know, the Camino Francais or the Camino del Norte. That looks sensational, that one. And just at a really slow pace uh, without time constraints. One day, you know, in our, when we're both retired, we'll come back and do it um, slowly. I'm not into, you know, big long kilometre days. Um, it's... It's a bit beyond me now these days. We're going to both going to be sixty this year, and um, I just like to the idea of slow walking and and smelling the roses and and stopping in places and having a little look around and um, just you know just not feeling like uh, there's time pressures. So mm. um, this wasn't a, a, a rushed Camino for us. We we had. We had a great time looking around, and um, there was one day in uh, on the way to Finisterre where um, Andrew and Ed jumped in a river and had a swim at Ponte Macera. Um, you know, because it was a hot day and there was water, and why not get in it? <laughs> and so, you know, those kind of things that you can do if you don't have time constraints. That's yeah. the beauty of it. And, um, you know, I'd love to be able to do uh, another Camino just fully at, at the pace that I want to go. And uh, I'm looking forward to that one day, doing longer Caminos. Mm. I know the Portuguese, we, we met so many people doing different Caminos. Once we got out... On the trail to Finisterre, we met up with people who had done the Francaise and were continuing mm. on, people who had done the Portuguese and they were continuing. One lady did the Primitivo. She said it was amazing, but I know that that's really quite mountainous, so I'm not sure if I'll be able to manage that one. <laughs> Andrew's keen to do that. but So, you know, there's so much more to do, Dan. It's yeah. just incredible. No, and, and it's exciting too that you've discovered it, that we've discovered it. And there are so many opportunities and so many different ways we can do it. It's a long way from home for us. There's no yeah. question about that. And it's it's also very expensive uh, to get there. But it's worth doing if, if somebody's listening and wondering whether – if they're perhaps 50-50 and wondering whether they should do it, I would suggest you do it because, as you can hear from Annie and Andrew, they've had the most wonderful, wonderful time. Um, so, Andrew, I might ask you, uh, can you see pilgrimage being part of your life long-term as well? Like Annie s- certainly seems to think she's going to go back. What about you? Absolutely, Dan. Yeah. Um, Probably for the last couple of years, I've been aiming at retirement. I've, I've semi-retired. I just do Navy Reserve work now. And um, so that gives a lot of flexibility and, and probably hope to be able to take off a month or two if I need to. But yeah. um, so, uh, and, and people say, what are you going to do when you retire? You know, you're so young, you're only 60 years old, and they're all working on to their I'm going to work till I'm 65, 70. I go, what the hell would you do that for? But anyway, they, they, you know, it's their choice, I suppose. But yeah. I say, well, I'm going to go walking. They go, let me go walking. I'm just going to keep walking the Camino. That's, yeah. It's, you know, it's a low-cost holiday. It's not, it doesn't cost you a great deal. I mean, tickets to get here were not too bad, really, in the end. $1,300 return to, mm. to Barcelona, which was pretty good. So, um, and then once you start, you know, as you know, it's 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 reasonably cheap. Pilgrims venues and our burgies don't cost a lot, so not paying a lot for accommodation. So, 
I mean, you can walk for a month and a half or more if you want. So I say, well, but they go, you're just walking. I said, well, it's more than a walk. It's a pilgrimage. I say, well, unless you do it, you won't understand. So I won't bang on about it too much. No. No, that's right. Um, That's right. Unless you do it, perhaps you don't understand. But it's still a lovely thing to carry with our with ourselves, with us and our community, our discussions and our um, our weekly conversations about it, I always finish by asking you to tell us a Camino story. Who's it going to be, Andrew or Annie? Who's going to tell us a Camino story to finish? Uh, it's going to be Annie. Oh, gosh. Okay, so <laughs> I was trying to think about this, but um, really I think um, it's about our friend... Tanya from Slovenia, she was travelling alone. She'd never travelled before on her own. She said she'd never actually been anywhere by herself um, or did anything out of the ordinary and she'd heard about the Camino. She was a lawyer and uh, married with a couple of kids um, but just wanted, she only had a week off so she thought she'd do the Inglés and um as Andrew mentioned earlier, we met her in Nida, the first stop on the Inglés, and she she thought her English was terrible, but I kept reassuring her that her English was great, and um, that was, uh, you know, she was not very confident at all about anything, and uh, quite nervous, and um, the next day she was walking on to Minho, whereas we were stopping 10Ks before that in Ponte Dume, and... Uh, so we sort of said goodbye and we weren't expecting her to see her again. But um, a few days in, we were um, we, we ended up at a little um, bar, Casa Avelina, where the beautiful little abuela there was, you know, getting everyone to put their feet up. It was a hot day. She was pouring beers and giving us biscuits and cake. And, and then... Um, Tanya was there and we were so happy to see her and she was she was quite distraught and um, upset because things hadn't been going well for her. She um, she'd caught a taxi from Presedo to a hotel. She had pre-booked everything because she was alone and nervous and wanted to make sure she had uh, bookings and um, but when she saw us all arrive at Casa Avelina for a beer before we um, made it down into Hospital de Bruma. She she was so relieved to see us and she she was at a loss. She said, I'm, I'm ready to give up and go home. She said, I, I went to the hotel and I didn't like it. It smelled of gas and I couldn't communicate in English very well and, and I couldn't speak. They were only speaking Spanish and so I just caught a taxi here and she was hoping to meet up with some Spanish girls that she'd met but she came across us <laughs> which um, <laughs> which was, uh, well she said it was a blessing. Yeah. So I think we were maybe her Camino angels and um, you know we had uh, Ed who you know was um, you know the life of the party and we had Ela, our German friend and we all said to Tanya, come with us, you know, stay with us. We're going to an albergue and I'm sure there'll be room for you. Come with us. We'll, we'll keep you with us. And she did. She stayed with us and um, she was so close to just 
pulling the pin, catching a bus to Santiago and then flying home. And um, uh, on the next couple of days of travelling on the Camino Inglés, she was just opening up and um, relaxing and her confidence built and uh, it was just beautiful to see because she kept saying, oh, if it wasn't for you, you know, I'd be home by now. I was, you know, so worried. I was lost and I was really nervous. And I thought, to me, that would be the worst feeling to have. I was, um, you know, I was really feeling for her. She was um, she was so down and she was so ready to give in that um, I felt like we well, no, we kind of saved her oh, nice. a little bit. It was, oh, it was a bit, I mean, no, I was just so glad that she didn't give up and that yeah. we came upon her just at that right moment. It was just, it was incredible how the Camino provides, you yeah. know. She, she was there and we turned up and everything changed for her and she walked into Santiago, bawling her eyes out, you know, and it was <laughs> so lovely. And she was, she was just gorgeous and... Um, we won't forget her, and we've been keeping in touch through WhatsApp, and she's um, she's adorable, and I just hope that it inspires her to keep travelling and and um, doing more Caminos because she loved it in the end. She just said, this has just been the best experience and and uh, it was for us, and to be able to help someone like that, and it was, it was a great feeling, so I was really happy. That really is um, part of what pilgrimage is about, in my view, being as as generous as you can. Um, We see people every day on the Camino. You see someone and you think, oh, wow, what a lovely thing to do. Or, you know, you take someone in and they sleep on the floor in your room or even people go head to toe in beds in in pensions because they need to take somebody in and and give them a decent night's sleep. It's... Again, as we said so many times on this podcast, the best version of ourselves. So how wonderful that is. That's such a lovely story, Annie. Hey, you know, I've got to say, uh, firstly, thank you for taking the time to talk to me and, and my listeners. Annie, wish you safe travels with your sister and Andrew all the best for the long journey back to Australia. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I, I must admit, I, I thought we were talking for about half an hour. I've just looked at the timer and it's 52 minutes. So there you go. Time Whoa. flies when you're having fun. So thank you both <laughs> so much. Um, and you're in San Sebastian. You've taken time out of your Monday morning to talk to me and I really, really appreciate it. Most importantly, um, I'm so pleased for you that you've had this opportunity to discover something that you not only love doing, but you also love doing together. And uh, and what a wonderful blessing it's been to be able to share that that journey with you for this this last little while. So thank you. And oh, buen camino. Yeah, buen camino, Dan. Thank you, Dan. Buen camino to you. And I just want to encourage everybody out there, especially Australians. It's safe. It's it's open, and the world is waiting. So get out there. <laughs> My guests this week were Annie and Andrew Thomas from south of Melbourne here in Australia. Well, seeing as I began the podcast talking about Woody Guthrie and Pete Seeger and telling the entire story, it's only right that I finish with this land 
is your land. Thanks for your company this week and every week. Oh, and a special thank you again to my new sponsors, Steve and Jane and, and Eric and Sue as well. Thank you so much for helping me put this podcast together each week. It is a labour of love. It's not easy. It does take a lot of time and effort, but I just adore doing it and we'll keep doing it with your support. This is the blessing I can't get enough of. The whole story. Until next week, I'm Dan Mullins. Buen Camino. This land is your land. This land is my land. From California to the New York Island. From the Redwood Forest to the Gulf Stream Warriors. This land was made for you and me. As I was walking that ribbon of highway I soared above me that endless skyway I saw below me that golden highway this land was made for you and me I roamed and rambled I followed my footsteps to the sparkling sands of her diamond deserts all around me voice was sounding this land was made for you and me this land is your land this land is my land from California to the New York Island from Redwood Forest to the Gulf Stream waters this land was made for you and me Sun came shining, and I was strolling. The wheat fields waving, and the dust clouds rolling, and the fog was lifting, and the voice was chanting. This land was made for you and me. As I went walking, I saw a sign there, and on the sign it said, No trespassing. But on the other side, didn't say nothing. That side was made for you and me. This land is your land. This land is my land. From California to the New York Island. From the Redwood Forest to Gulfstream waters. This land was made for you and me. In the shadow of the steeple, I saw my people by the relief office. I seen my people as they stood there hungry. I stood there asking, is this land made for you and me? This land is your land. This land is my land. From California to the New York Island. From the Redwood Forest, the Gulf Stream waters, this land was made for you and me. Nobody living can ever stop me as I go walking that freedom highway. Nobody living can ever make me turn back. This land was made. This land is your land, this land is my land, from 
California to the New York Island from the Redwood Forest to the Gulf Stream waters this land was made for you and me this land